Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's about, about time for true crime. Hey. Hi, you guys. Happy Tuesday. Happy freaking Tuesday. I can't believe we're like well into March, like almost into April. I'm so ready for spring. Have I said that enough? Oh, my God. I know. I Me too. Yeah. It's I'm done with lot. the snow. As I say, it's snowing right now as we're sitting here. I know. And I'm ready for New England to get its shit together and have some warmer weather. I know. And just like the little buds on the trees and the little birdies singing and... Mm. And actually being able to be outside and not oh. hating every second of it. Open a window. Could you imagine? Driving with the windows down. Oh. oh. Yeah. That's oh. my fave. Not having to defrost even oh when you gosh. come inside. Ugh. Getting up and going to work late and then um, not realizing that I have to shovel off my entire car before I can leave anyway. Correct. Yeah. 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 And then falling in the snowbank. Five times. Or too soon. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not quite too soon. It was the day of. I was like, I'm not doing well, but I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's eight in the morning. Oh, I was so mad. It was like four times and the snow was up to my freaking thighs. Ugh. Anyway, you guys have already heard that story, but. It's true. Um, I guess right now we're just kind of hanging out. We're, I feel like I'm on the edge of my seat from part one, but it's been nice to sort of get a break from all the Nexium shit. Oh, that was depraved. That was bad. It was bad. In a good way. Yeah. But it was a lot to just like dive into every week for over a month. Right. Yeah. But I'm so glad that we did it and did it well. I'm just also excited to hear what happens to this piece of shit yes well luckily for you this is only going to be a two-parter although i will say that the second part is going to be a lot longer than the first part yeah so we've got that going for us love it and it will be quite the ride Ooh. okay so should i like hands feet inside the podcast at all times oh yeah oh yeah um do i need to pull down like a lap bar you might need to okay for sure all right and hold the like oh shit bar up oh the oh shit bar yeah okay so you got that all right well let me go put on some uh closed toed shoes and let's get started all right let's do it all right all right well hello and welcome back to part two of our series on danny rolling the Gainesville Ripper. Rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> if you are like me and you like to hear things chronologically, then I would recommend that you listen to part one if you haven't already. But to give you just a brief summary, little reminder of what we covered in part one, we discussed a lot. And by a lot, we discussed Danny Rowling's upbringing, the abuse he suffered at the hand of his parents, sexual assault he experienced at the hands of a family member, his mother's Ugh. attempts at taking her own life, his attempts at taking his own life. We also talked about how, for him, the line between violence and pleasure was nearly non-existent Ugh. by his early teens, and it's only going to get worse. Ugh. He set out to commit several crimes, including, but certainly not limited to, theft, armed robbery, and burglary, as well as engaging in his fair share of voyeurism. Yes, he would stand in windows and look in at families, particularly younger women. Ugh. That's like very you-esque. It is, and it's so uncomfortable and creepy and violating in an yeah. entirely different way. To be violated and not touched is such an odd yeah. concept, and that's what he did. Ugh. Um, but anyway, back to Danny. He married in his early 20s. He also divorced in his early 20s, but not before he abu- abused his own wife as his father had abused his mother and him, and not before making a baby with her. 
Then Danny turned to drugs and alcohol to self-medicate as well as tried his hand at music. And because he couldn't hold down a job for more than a few weeks, he continued to steal from others for money. We left you last in part one with his first murders, the Grissom family. Now, if you remember, Danny had staked out the Grissom family home. He broke into the home and he murdered 55-year-old Tom, 8-year-old Sean, and raped and murdered 23-year-old Julie. He cleaned up the crime scene and disappeared out the door. Did he take anything? Nope. What the fuck? Just disappeared out the door. So, I mean, other than straight up like lives. I get that. But oh, yeah. No, but no no trophy-like thing in this, but okay. we'll talk about that. Ooh, okay. Oh, my God, will we talk about that. And I just want to issue a big, fat, in bold, and underlined trigger warning for all of the trigger warnings basically yeah uh sexual yeah, violence assault mutilation and let's be honest uh everything under the sun with this ass face just put it that way yeah he's the capital t trauma oh he's bad oh he's capital capital trauma <laughs> yes oh and i also want to just touch on again here some of the sources that we used here um they're the same as the last ones but i got a lot from biography.com um, Radford EDU, A&E, uh, last podcast on the left actually had some episodes on this. The Crime Library, I got a ton of stuff from. Also, the book A Monster of All Time, The True Story of Danny Rowling by J.T. Hunter. That was really good. Um, the Sun Sentinel, Oxygen, Cinemaholic. They're all listed below. You guys know that, but just in case you wanted to hear them, there you go. But anyway, let's get back to Danny Rowling, shall we? We shall. So, let's pick up where we left off. By 1990, Danny was still trying his hand at jobs and ultimately being fired every single time. He Mm. spent his nights usually shit-faced at a local bar, and he slurred about how he was going to make it big in the music industry. And even though almost nowhere in town would even give him even a five-minute set, he still remained confident that he'd be famous. I don't even... How do you do that? I mean, I applaud the self-confidence in that way, but let's just say that that confidence that he had spilled over into other areas of his life and it had no business being there. Yeah, I got that sense. So April 27th, 1990, the world was almost free of Danny Rowling. What? He had been driving in a storm when his car hydroplaned and he wound up hitting a telephone pole. And even though the accident should have killed him, it didn't. But instead, he just experienced, you guessed it, another traumatic brain injury. Oh my gosh. And you know what they say about head injuries and serial killers. You just hate to see it. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got that going for us. And unfortunately, you just see it. You just see it. So after he recovered from that accident... Danny was still a piece of dog shit. It's not like it like broke the bone in his body that made him fucking evil. Like he was still terrible. You can only hope. And again, we feel for the child. His upbringing was horrendous. It was horrible. As a kid, I want to wrap in a blanket and get like a little cup of warm milk. Someone should have swept in, picked him up and like taken care of him the way that a child should have been taken care of. But once you get to the point that you can say, oh, what happened to me was fucked up. That's where the culpability begins to turn to you. You can't just repeat it and say, well, it happened to me. Yeah. Even if 
you did nothing to cause the trauma that happened to you and hell even if you did it doesn't matter ultimately it is our responsibility as individuals to handle that to deal with that to process that to be better and in his case none of that happened it just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled and again that's why we have such a big trigger warning on this episode it's bad and that's why i love that quote you know the trauma is never your fault but the healing is your responsibility like i don't know i want to give baby him a hug and then i also want to like slap the ever-living shit out of adult him yeah no it's in it's only gonna get worse so okay. be honest all right um so he still broke into homes of young women. He still sexually assaulted them and he still just disappeared afterwards. He wasn't caught for this and oftentimes he would still be wearing a mask of some kind over his face, which is really off-putting and unsettling. Ooh. So then we revisit Danny's daddy issues. Aww. Remember, his relationship with his father is horrible and it didn't recover. And from the years and years of tension... It only just grew more toxic as Danny got older, he got bigger, he got stronger. And let's not forget, Danny was using drugs and alcohol frequently. So even though he's struggling with, you know, the abuse that he had faced as a kid and that resentment and all of that, it's also tainted and spun out by all these substances too. Okay. So this time we're going to talk about, he was actually at his parents' home when he and James, his dad began arguing and arguing for the rolling men was hardly ever just that it usually resulted in one or both of them brandishing a weapon good good that seems healthy oh of course so in this case they actually both took out their handguns and fired warning shots at each other like that's how bad this argument got and the argument was something dumb it was something about like where danny should park his car or should he move it or like isn't that always the way it's like the dumbest shit minuscule but with them things just snowballed and in this case danny actually shot his dad okay danny shot his dad hitting him in his forehead and in the stomach his forehead and his stomach yeah that's pretty intense correct so then he tried to beat his dad up and then his mom walked in the room and she's watching her son kick her husband as he is bleeding all over the floor and she's a wreck and she's begging Danny to stop. And Danny just ran away, not knowing if his father was dead or alive. And somehow, James survived his injuries. He was shot again in the forehead, in the stomach, and yeah, I guess walked away from that. Fine. How the hell? I don't know. But when Danny ran away, he didn't look back. And he didn't know for the longest time if his dad was alive. He was convinced he killed him. I mean, he shot right. him in the head. You know, well, think and not that you did. only like you shoot someone in the forehead and the stomach. So you're hitting two vital organs, presumably. Mm-hmm. And then you kick the living shit out of them. Of course, oh, you're yeah. going to think they're dead. Oh, yeah. And he's oh, an adult now. So, I mean, his his dad's, I don't know, I'm assuming not 30. So, <laughs> right. You know, he's probably not going to bounce back as quick. And who would? But anyway, it was just not good. So, again, Danny leaves not knowing. Is he dead? Is he alive? He doesn't know. I don't know that he cares. And he takes off. He committed theft and armed robbery from his hometown in Louisiana to Sarasota, Florida. And he stayed in Sarasota for a little bit of time, actually, using a false identity and then telling the locals that he's this up-and-coming music star. Again, he's convinced. And so he's like, well, may as well just tell them the truth because that's what I'm going to be anyway. 
And then he gets this tape recorder and he starts recording some monologues in a motel room. That's where he was staying. And in these monologues, he's apologizing to his family. He's apologizing to the police. He's telling everyone how great they are and really including his dad, which is bonkers. Then saying he's sorry for his behavior and apologizing for everything that he's ever done and then he's switching back to how great everybody is and then he has some songs it's very strange chaotic to say the least I'll put it that way and there are hours and hours of these recordings by the way and he's sort of rambling and then he focuses on how grateful he is for his family and then he's so sorry for what he's done and that's what he does he goes like I'm so sorry about what he does and then he keeps doing it he's like but I'm so sorry no, you're not so sorry, Kermit. Stop you're it. You're not sorry enough to not do it. No. So I don't. You're sorry you got caught, guy. Come on. Yeah. Anyway, some of the recordings actually have some original songs that he wrote. Oh. Um, and I say original very loosely because they're entirely ripoffs of right. already famous songs. They at sound the time. like other songs. Oh yeah. yeah, no, they're entirely other songs. And he's like, oh, this is like an original. I'm like, okay, bud. <laughs> Like, give us nothing. Yes. Every breath you take. Yeah, it's <laughs> awful. So. Danny's watching you. He really is, though. Oh, yeah. So, Danny makes his way to Gainesville, Florida. And if Gainesville sounds familiar, uh, he's the Gainesville Ripper. Yeah. So, it's not going to be good. We know where that's going. Correct. Yikes. And this is where he hatched his I would say, his most sinister plan to date. Okay. Once in Gainesville, he made sort of his own patrol route, so to speak. Okay. To spy on students attending the University of Florida. Now, there were a handful of schools in this area. So, he sort of had his pick, I guess you could say. Mm Mm-hmm. I really do like the way that crime library writer Fiona Steele described Gainesville. Mm. She wrote, quote... On August 20th, 1990, the beautiful university town of Gainesville, Florida, was ranked as being the 13th best place to live in the United States by Money Magazine. By the end of the following week, American papers had renamed the town Grizzly Gainesville. Ugh. Just what a way to put that. I thought that was very artistic. Yeah. So we're going to get into talking about all of this. Take us to Grizzly Gainesville. Oh, I will. You just buckle on up, girlfriend. Okay. So... In the afternoon hours of August 26, 1990, police officer Ray Barber was making his final rounds before ending his shift. Okay. And he was going to call a day. He was going to go home. And just before he was heading back to the station, he was dispatched to an apartment building where neighbors had complained about loud music. Okay. But to put this in perspective, it's August in a college town. The semester had either just started or it was about to. Students flooded back to campus. They're seeing each other for the first time. They haven't seen each other all summer. Right. They're enjoying the weather. I mean, again, it's beautiful. It's Florida in summertime. It may be a little hot, but that's just my opinion. But yeah. whatever. <laughs> they're moving in. They're setting up their apartments. They're going to house parties. They're hitting the bar. They're living it up. They're college yeah. kids all back together for the first weekend before things are really serious, you know, before right. before midterms and before there's real homework and before shit hits the fan. Right. Before your homework is like 80 chapters of reading a night. Yes. Yeah. So all of that to say a call for a noise complaint in an apartment building where students are known to rent is not shocking right and especially on that weekend of course not and officer barber didn't think so either right 
So he arrives at the apartment complex and he's met by a maintenance man and two very concerned parents. Interesting. So it's not going to go well. You know this. This yeah. is kind of set in the scene. If you can picture it, he pulls up, you know, two parents kind of huddled together, maintenance yeah. man and like his like jumpsuit, like, I don't know. Okay. And the parents had actually called maintenance because their daughter wasn't answering the door and the music was playing very loud. Uh. And they probably wouldn't have thought much of it, but she had known to expect them. It wasn't like they were stopping by to surprise her. Right. They had plans to get together, probably maybe go to lunch or something, have yeah. a day. And they had planned to spend the day together. So her parents were visiting from out of town. She knew that they had a Mm -hmm. bit to drive. They'd agreed on the time. And now they get there. They're knocking. She's not answering. So they're growing concerned. And the maintenance man didn't really feel comfortable opening the door without police presence, which in hindsight is an excellent call on his part. Yeah, absolutely. The parents said that their daughter, Christina Powell, hadn't been heard from in a couple of days and neither had her roommate, Sonia Larson. And they were both 17. Okay. Oh, babies. Yeah, just and like I was 17 when I started college. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, your birthday is a little bit later or whatever. Oh, that's so shitty. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not good. So, Officer Barber and the maintenance man approached the apartment and also tried their hand at knocking, which they figured no one was going to answer. They were right, right, but But they gave it a shot. They gave it a shot. So, then the maintenance man used the master key to try to get in, but the door was also deadbolted, and that was kind of weird. So, the officer just kind of broke a window next to the door and reached his hand in to unlock it. Okay. And as he broke the window this grotesque stench came from inside the apartment and immediately he knew that what he was going to find was going to be horrific the smell of death is not something that you forget no and it's so distinct and it's certainly for a a police officer who's probably had to experience that more than your average person yeah he's gonna know that right away and in this case that's exactly what happened he knew it was not good so He actually went back down the stairs to call in the homicide team. Okay. And he was met by the very anxious, by this point, frantic Powells, who could see by the look on his face that they were not going to get good news. Yeah. And they were not allowed into the apartment, thank God. And instead, more law enforcement arrived along with crisis counselors from a local hospital. Oh, that's actually... Nice. They called that in so they could set them up with the parents. So I want to put a pin here because I'm talking about how grotesque and gruesome this is. I want to tell you why. So let's learn about what happened. We're going to rewind the clock. So again, this is the 26th of August. Okay. And we're going to go back to the 24th. Okay. Okay. Clad in dark clothing and a ski mask. Danny Rowling set out to commit mur- murder on August 24th, 1990. Ugh. Just so we're, we're all clear here. Okay. He'd been stalking Christina Powell and Sonia Larson for several days. Yeah. And he had decided that it was time to move forward with his plan. I want to take a minute to tell you about Christina and Sonia. Okay. Christina Powell had just graduated from a very small high school. Aww. And it was not far from the University of Florida where she was going to school. While she was in high school, she played volleyball and softball. And she wrote for the school like newspaper, her oh, school cute. magazine. Yeah. 
She hadn't initially planned on going to that university. She actually had her sights on a different school, but she decided on University of Florida because it was close to her family. Yeah. She didn't want to be far. Again, she's 17. She knew it had a lot to offer in terms of what she wanted to do, and she just didn't want to be too far from family and where she grew up. Yeah. And she'd actually started taking some classes over the summer to get a head start in the semester. So she was just like a go-getter from the start. Shit. Good for her. She was a bit nervous to be going to such a big school, but her high school guidance counselors assured her that she would do great and that she shouldn't let nervousness hold her back. So she intended to become an architect so she could design homes for low-income families, and she dreamt of changing the world. Just so you get an idea of she's not just a name. She's a person. Yeah. She had dreams and she had aspirations and she was a little bit shy and really hardworking and excited and eager so we'll talk about sonia larson yeah she was also 17 and she had also started taking classes that summer to get ahead oh okay match made in heaven of course Good. and sonia excelled in math and science in high school and she was an honor student she played softball i can only imagine that sonia and christina would have become fast friends right a lot in common very driven i'm sure they could have been best friends for life yeah. And Sonia was also a part of her high school's Students Against Drunk Drivers initiative. Okay. And also involved in her church. And she spent most of her summers actually working in the church daycare. And then she would teach Sunday school. Oh. She was going to school for education. And she hoped one day to work full time as an elementary school teacher. Oh. And she was hardworking. She was friendly to everyone. Her colleagues at the daycare one even in her mid 50s just described sonia as not just a colleague but a friend and she said it was odd with her being so young she was just so mature and grown up and just a genuinely kind person that even this woman who was old enough to be her mother right just took to her as like an equal which yeah has got to be hard to come by especially when you're a teen let's be real yeah so she was hardworking. she loved her job she was dedicated and she never really took a day off of work because she loved it so much and sonia and christina had actually both wanted to live in the dorms on campus not in apartments right but they were full and there was a wait list and they were freshmen so they lived in an apartment with a third roommate instead of dorming okay and truly i can only imagine if they had been able to dorm instead how things would be different I want to hammer home that they were beautiful, hardworking, kind, excited young women with their entire lives ahead of them, with dreams of doing and being good. Well, and I think everybody can relate to that point where you're starting your adult life, like freshly graduated, figuring out what you want to do, whether that's in a university or not, um, and just trying to figure out, you know, how does my life transform into this dream of mine? Well, right. And... At their age, these were young girls that weren't ready to venture too far out of the nest. Right. They still called their parents all the time. I mean, these two girls might have ended up being best friends for life had they ever even been able to enter adulthood. Right. So. They never even got to fucking vote. All of these amazing, awesome things that they had going for them, all of their positivity and generosity and kindness and all of the good things in them all of that came to a crashing halt august 24th 1990 okay danny rowling gained entry into their apartment by prying their door open with a screwdriver Mm. 
Once inside, he was careful not to make any noise. Uh, he entered in the living room and he found Christina asleep in the living room. Mm-hmm. She was asleep on the couch. He stood there for over 10 minutes just watching her sleep. Oh, what a creep. Fucking terrifying. Then he went upstairs to Sonia's room where she was sleeping and watched her sleep for a bit. Also fucking terrifying. And he decided to kill Sonia first. While she lay there sleeping, all curled up in her bed in late August before mm-hmm. her very first year of college, Danny Rowling took out his knife and he stabbed her in the collarbone. Collarbone? She woke up in agony. He forced duct tape over her mouth to mute her screams Ugh. so that Christina would not wake up downstairs. Ugh. He stabbed her in the chest and as she tried to protect herself with her arms and push him away, he just also ended up stabbing at her hands and arms. Yeah. Luckily or unfortunately, I guess it depends on how you look at it, Sonia bled out in less than a few minutes and she was dead. I mean, there's a part of me that's so glad she didn't have to live for more of that, like live through what was coming. But my God, what an awful. But she's dead all the same. Yeah, exactly. She was 17 years old with her whole life in front of her and because she was pretty and because she was young... And because she was living in that area at the same time that this piece of horse shit decided to hurt people, her life was snuffed out. So after Danny was sure that Sonia was dead, he went back downstairs. I believe that of the two, he favored Christina. And to be favored by Danny was not a good thing. Yeah. I think he was thrilled that he got to murder two women, but knew that subduing and controlling two women at the same time would be nearly impossible. So... He broke in when he anticipated that they were sleeping and had to, I guess, really dispose of one to have time with the other. Right. So, in this case, Sonia was killed quickly and without incident, and now he had time to dedicate to Christina. Mm. Christina had slept through her roommate's murder. Danny returned downstairs. She was still zonked and only woke up when she felt duct tape forced over her mouth. He used his duct tape to then secure her hands tightly behind her back and overpowered her, rendering her almost entirely defenseless against him. He raped her repeatedly. And (sighs) knowing he didn't have to worry about waking her roommate, he was able to take his time. And when he was done, he turned her over so that she was on her stomach. And he stabbed her in the back as deep as the blade would go over and over and over. Oh my gosh. And Christina, like Sonia, died from her stab wounds and bled out on the floor. Now, once Danny knew that she was dead, he used his blade to cut off her breasts. What the fuck? He posed Christina in the middle of the floor in the living room. He positioned her on her back so that the first thing someone would see when they opened that front door was her nude body with her breasts clearly having been removed yeah and he used dish soap from the kitchen to try to wash away any biological evidence that he may have left on christina then he went upstairs to sonia's body still in her bed posed her with her legs spread open again to shock the poor soul who entered the room next and for danny it's all about the shock 
He really, he loves the posing. He wants to be able to inflict horror on other people by them finding what he done. It's just secondary victims of what he's done. It's just that sight is going to traumatize somebody. Just that, the visual of that will have lasting detrimental effects on people. And he lived for that Mm -hmm. because he got to do it to them and then got to know that other people knew that he did it to them. And they had to see what it looked like and what they must have experienced and it's one thing to hear about it it's another thing to see that yeah and it's another thing to see it without any of this context yeah to just walk into that and to not be prepared for that it's it's sick it's twisted it's evil and after that he had quite the eventful night and he felt tired so he let himself in christina's room because you know she doesn't need it anymore because Are you fucking he kidding me snuffed her out and he took a nap in her bed and, Ew. When, and when he woke up he used her shower Washed himself off, and he disappeared out of the apartment. I hate him. So, let's go back to the pin that we placed earlier. That purposeful placement of the bodies. Mm-hmm. Now, this was, again, to cause the ultimate shock and horror to the onlooker, and this initially fell on Officer Barber, who had just walked through the apartment. Mm-hmm. And I am so very grateful that the Powell family was not able to jimmy the door open and that the maintenance man hadn't tried to force it open for them. It's awful that the police officer had to see it, but I can't imagine anything worse than her own parents having to see that. Especially to be the first ones and have your daughter be the one that's like splayed out first thing. And she had been dead two days. So this is two days in the August heat. Two days in August heat and blood out, which, I mean, I don't want to make this about logistics, but just what a mess you'd walk into. With her breasts removed, cut off of her body. At 17. And posed in a lewd position, in a sexual position, on purpose, intentionally, this fucking asshole. Anyway, word spread like wildfire immediately. I mean, two freshmen had just been murdered. And neighbors recalled hearing loud music, but this was the beginning of the semester. That's not uncommon. They heard banging against the walls and other sounds. But again, students are moving in. They're hanging pictures and posters. They're putting away clothes. They're opening and closing drawers and cabinets. They're moving furniture. What the neighbors heard wasn't anything alarming or reportable. It just was. Yeah. So... Students, parents, locals, they all gather around the apartment building trying to piece together what happened. First year student Elsa Strepp tried to make her way through the crowd that had formed outside of the apartment building. And she was stopped by law enforcement before she could even reach the building. She asked if she could be let through to get to her apartment. She didn't know what the commotion was about, but she had just been away for the weekend and was trying to get back and wanted to get settled in. Oh, no. So they asked her her name. She told them, and she was quickly brought away from the crowd where she was told that her two roommates, Christina and Sonia, had been murdered. Had she been home, I feel no doubt that she would have just been the third victim of that night. Yeah. She surely would have met the same fate. And I really hope that Elsa doesn't feel any guilt or shame, and I hope she doesn't play the what-if game about that night. Truly, if she were there, there just would have been three young women murdered. And it's impossible to think or to expect of yourself that you could have magically known something was going to happen and could have 
fixed it or prevented it or anything. No, she certainly would have just been the other one. He would have yeah. stalked her, too. I mean, he didn't go in there ill-prepared. Right. Ugh. So, to recap, Danny had murdered Sonia and Christina on August 24th. Days went by while the third roommate, Elsa, was out of town. A couple of days later, Christina's parents arrived to pick her up, and when they knock at the door, there's no answer. Officer Barber is the one to make the very gruesome discovery, and that is a couple of days after they'd been murdered. Ugh. And again, bodies in the Florida heat in August. Now, word is just starting to spread about what's happened. Okay. We're going to switch gears to Gail Barber. Okay. Okay, so... Gail Barber is also a police officer, and she is also the wife of Ray Barber. Oh, I was going to ask. That's yes. cool. Oh, they're both police. That's they're good. both police officers, and they both work together, but they were on different shifts. So, okay. again, the call oh. to the... Yeah. So, the call to the um, the apartment building happened at the end of her husband's shift, so now he's off of shift. She's on. It's her turn to tap in. Yeah, she tapped Ugh. in, and she's like... I'm sure more than anything, she'd want to be home with her husband, who's probably just witnessed, honestly, what I hope is the most gruesome thing he's ever seen, because I can't yeah. imagine really anything worse than that. But I'm sure she wants to be home to, like, support him and be with him or whatever, but there's still a job to do. So, now, of course, everyone's stunned. They cannot believe the murder of two students, but work still has to be done. Right. And there's a team to focus on those murders, right? There, okay. You know, there's people that are working on that. They're investigating that. But other offenders don't just stop committing crimes because there was just a murder, right? They're not right. like, well, the police are busy. They've got enough on their plate. Let right. me take a chill pill. I'll take a break. They're like, oh, great. They're busy and overworked. Let me hit it up. Right. So all of that to say that it's not like, well, that's it. Everyone just throws in the towel. Not everybody can focus on that. Right. There's still a job to be done. And in this case, she still had something to do. For Gail, she was asked to do a welfare check on a young woman named Krista Hoyt. Okay. Now, Gail actually knew Krista. They both worked the midnight shift for the sheriff's office, except Krista wasn't an officer. She actually worked in the records department. Okay. So, Krista was 18. It's kind of weird for me to think of, like, an, a midnight shift of records department, because I feel yeah. like that's typically, like, a daytime thing, but... Um, she was actually, Krista was 18 years old and she was going to school at, uh, Santa Fe Community College on a scholarship, which okay. was also in Gainesville. That's why there's multiple schools in Gainesville and this, that was the one that she went to. Okay. And, um, she liked her job and she liked work in the midnights and I'm yeah. sure it was quiet work for her and everything. And so, you know, she knew yeah. some of the officers and Gail was one of them cause they were on the same shift. She had plans to become a chemical engineer one day. Ooh. And in high school, she had been an honor student, and she played in the high school band, and she enjoyed spending time with her friends, and she loved to cook, and she wanted to swim and play racquetball mm. all the time. She was friendly, a little shy, but absolutely beautiful. Okay. And she, like the ones before, didn't want to be too far from home or from family, so she chose to go to school close to home. Okay. Even though Krista was only 18, she was very responsible for her age and would not just skip out on work. So, again, she's working the midnight shift. It's around 1230 in the morning, so half hour later than she was supposed to be there at least. And okay. despite trying to reach her, no one had heard from her. 
So Gail took a ride over to her apartment with another officer and they knocked on the door. They were kind of relieved when she didn't answer because they're like, okay, good. She must have just been running late. She's on her way. If she didn't answer, it means she's on the road. She's going to work. And that relief turned to concern quickly when they looked out at the parking lot and they could still see Krista's car. No. So she's still home. Around the back of the building, they noticed that the chain link fence had been obstructed. Okay. Which was another cause for concern. That was kind of weird. It yeah. was not like that beforehand. And trying the doors, they noticed that they were all locked, so they couldn't get inside. So they crouched down to look into one of the windows. I guess she had the shades drawn, but you could. there was a little gap between where the shade okay. came down and, and the window. So they kind of crouched down, they try to look in, and they see blood. Oh. And they called for backup, and another horrific discovery was made. So we're going to put another pin here and we're going to find out what happened. So what day was this? Was this the same day? It's that. Yeah, it's it's very early the next day. It's like, okay. let's call it 1 a.m. the next day. So it's like the 27th barely. Okay. So less than 24 hours after Danny Rowling had murdered Christina and Sonia, he was back on the prowl to murder another young woman. What the fuck? And unfortunately for Krista Hoyt, he chose her. So, on August 25th, 1990, Danny broke into Chris's apartment. She wasn't home. The apartment was empty. You know, she didn't have any other roommates or anything like that. So, he decided he'd wait for her. So, he hid behind a bookcase and stood there till she got home. She got home around 10 p.m. And when she came in the room, he jumped out at her, fucking terrifying her. She Mm -hmm. falls to the floor. She's like, she's so scared. And... I want to put a warning here because this is truthfully one of the most horrific scenes that we have ever discussed on this podcast. So if you feel like it may be too much for you, skip ahead. Rejoin us when you're comfortable because it's really fucking bad. Abby, you don't have that opportunity. No, jealous of you guys. So buckle up. Okay. But much like with Christina, Danny duct taped Krista's mouth. He secured her arms, arms behind her back and he raped her for more than an hour. Okay. He also stabbed at her intermittently whenever he felt like it. Oh, my God. Also, like with Christina, he rolled her over to her stomach and stabbed her repeatedly in the back until she was dead. Then he rolled her back over, face up toward him. He stabbed her in the pubic area and dragged the knife up to her breastbone, Uh. opening up her entire abdomen. Oh, my gosh. I mean, these things are awful enough to say out loud, and unfortunately, it's only going to get worse from here. Oh, my God. He then used the knife to cut off both of her nipples and placed them on the bed next to her. Then he also cut off her breasts and placed them in a towel with the intent to take them with him when he was done. After that, he severed her head entirely. What the fuck, guy? As we know with Danny, he's committed to creating the most shocking stunning horrifying scene for the onlooker and he had great depraved plans for whoever would be the poor soul to find krista fuck so he sits krista his body upright at the edge of the bed are you kidding imagine how fucking haunting sits her upright at the edge of the bed with her legs open 
Okay. Some of her intestines were coming out of her abdomen where it had been cut and they just sort of like swing there, like falling out, but not quite fallen Uh, out. Does that make sense? He then took her head and he put it on the bookshelf in her room, the same bookshelf that he had hid behind waiting for her to come home. Oh my God. It's like he had all of this time to think about what he'd do and, you know, the use he'd make of the space, really, for the scene. Oh, fucking butte. So he arranged the scene so that the decapitated head was posed in shock, looking oh my down at her own upright body. What the, on the fuck, bed. Danny Rowling? Like he's look he positioned it so that she's looking in horror at her body. Then he positioned a mirror just so so that when you know, I'll, I'll say the onlooker again. Open right. the door. The very first thing they would see would be her severed head looking at her own body. Yeah. It was like positioned at an angle where you'd see both. Right. And like every time before, he just fucking disappeared out of the apartment unnoticed after that. He accidentally forgot the breast that he removed. And that is what he d- that's what he did to Krista. I can't. I mean, I don't like it's. it's I literally un- don't have words. No, That's you so can't. Bad. Because it sounds like something that they wouldn't even put in a movie. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's too much. Like, that's that's too far. You know what I mean? Like, that's. Did you have to go that exaggerated? Does it need to be that repulsive? I don't know. Well, and then on top of it, to like, okay, the breast as a souvenir thing, very strange. And then he forgets them. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm curious, like immediately that my brain goes to, was that supposed to trick people into thinking he had that tendency and then he just sort of let it go, like drop the ball on it was, I mean, is that something he needs and just genuinely forgot? How do you forget? Like your entire life right now is being a piece of shit to a dead body that like to a woman who you killed. Mm hmm. I don't know. I'm sorry. He had a lot of time, I think, in her apartment to sort of brainstorm how he wanted to to do this. Interior design. Yeah, it was like it was like feng shui for him. It was like, how does he want to like set the room? Like it's so awful. Because I would never even think. I mean, in my wildest nightmares, don't think that I would think of that. I would hope that my brain wouldn't be capable yeah. of coming up with a scene so horrible. And not only did his do that, he actually like put pen to paper for it and did the thing. Right. Awful. Ugh. Just awful. I think that has to be one of the most, if not the most sinister scene that yeah. we've ever talked about here. Agreed. So... If you Damn, remember, now I wish I could have skipped past it. I okay. No, you anyway, poor thing. Thanks, I am. <laughs> so, if you remember where we left the scene with law enforcement, they had just called for backup. Yeah. Right. They, they then entered the home as soon as backup arrived, and these poor people walked into that very scene that Danny had wanted them to see. Mm. So both Gail Barber and her husband Ray Barber had been the first on scene for two separate gruesome murders within hours of each other that's why what are the fucking odds like she wants to like hang back to comfort him because he's just seen this horrific shitty double homicide 
Yeah. She gets called for a welfare check to go look to go look at her coworker to check on her and make sure she's on her way to work. Krista wasn't coming to work. Yeah. And that's what she finds. What the fuck? They could start their own support group. Horrific. I feel like those words don't even hold a candle to no. what these scenes really are. It's inhumane, honestly. Oh, no, it is. But onward, because guess what? We're not done. Are you fucking kidding? Can this be it? We're already at like nearly double digits, if not. Oh, no, no. this That was only uh, six. Oh, my gosh. There were the three Grissom. Right. These three. And we've got two more to go. Oh, okay. Yep. Can't wait. So. I can wait. (laughs) Without (laughs) skipping a fucking beat, this evil dick lick was at it again. The very next day, he set out to murder again. This time, he happened upon 23-year-old Tracy Pauls. Okay. Tracy was a sophomore at the University of Florida, studying political science and pre-law, and had worked in law offices for experience. She had planned to go to law school after her undergrad, and she was very smart and very hardworking and very athletic. In high school, she played just about every sport there was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she was uh, her class salutatorian. She was the senior class president, and she was the homecoming queen. Oh, shit. She always offered to help others, so much so that in her senior year of high school, she couldn't afford to buy her class ring, and it was in a time where you bought your class ring, right. you know? And her entire class all pooled money and pitched in and bought one for her. Wait, that's so sweet. Because she was the kind of person that would do that for someone else that they felt that she deserved to have that done for her. Good. I'm so glad. So this is the caliber of people that he's inflicting harm on. I just, I, I, you know. What the fuck? Just want to really fucking hammer that in there. Yeah. Tracy lived in an apartment with her longtime friend, Manuel Taboda. Okay. He was also 23. They had gone to high school together. He was actually in the National Honor Society, and he was a star football player. Damn, good for them. Uh, Manny's dad had passed away when he was young, Mm -hmm. and so he sort of had to grow up faster than many of his friends. He helped his family out a lot, probably more than was expected, but they certainly needed it. He was not afraid of hard work, and he was actually going to school to become an architect. Oh, nice. So same as Christina? Yeah, and wanting to be an architect, yep. Mm -hmm. And he would work a lot, and he went to school part-time. And he went to Santa Fe Community College. Just to note here that both schools are in Gainesville, and it wasn't uncommon for students of both schools, the Santa Fe Community College and University of Florida, to live together. I mean, they're both in the same town. So that's what they did tracy and manny were friends from high school and were going to different schools but schools in the same area they knew each other they'd been friends for a long time manny's roommate had just moved out so tracy moved in okay and tracy's parents were actually relieved that she was living with him because they knew him they knew he was a good kid and they felt like she'd be safer if she didn't live alone right unfortunately we're not talking about her because things went well lie detector test determined that was a lie oh yeah kind of did (laughs) so around 3 a.m he broke into their apartment okay danny attacked manny first i mean that's pretty much standard 
get rid of the male first or the most yeah. the the most dominant threat in this case it was definitely manny before making his way to tracy right what danny probably didn't expect though is that manny was over six feet fucking tall over 200 pounds ex-star football player right and could definitely handle danny fucking rolling good but unfortunately for manny danny had the advantage because mm-hmm. he snuck into manny's room while he slept stabbed him in the chest while he was still asleep so manny fought back he gave everything that he could and this Good man for him. this man fought for his life he was terrified but he was fucking trying and danny just kept stabbing and stabbing manny as he fought back and at one point manny actually got a hold of danny and probably could have killed him he was losing too much blood and just became oh. weaker and weaker over time oh my god so as he's like holding danny what i'm assuming is either like in a chokehold or something he just like slowly starts to yeah, let go grip. yeah and i swear if he hadn't been stabbed first like if he had woken up when he heard someone entering the home or something like that that would be the end of danny rolling damn but that's not what happened and unfortunately he suffered more than 30 stab wounds including one that had opened up his entire chest what the fuck? These were not tiny little, like, shallow jabs at him. Like, I'm so sad that he has passed and he was a victim to this. I just feel bad that he was put in a situation where it's like either you go through the trauma of being assaulted and then you die, mm-hmm. or you go through the trauma of being assaulted and then having to kill someone for your life. And that's just a whole nother level of trauma that he didn't deserve. Every bit about this was a lose-lose situation and Ugh. everybody lost everyone lost except danny of course so as this is going on Mm -hmm. tracy walks in the room she's like what the fuck is this commotion about and i'm putting those words in her mouth i'm sure she was a lot sweeter than that right but she hears that she's concerned it's three o'clock in the morning she knows her friend he didn't have anybody over what the hell's going on and you know what a struggle sounds like so she enters the room and she sees her longtime friend and roommate dying and then she sees a man wielding a knife watching him die so she yeets it out of there because holy shit and she runs into the bathroom and she tries to barricade herself in there and she is terrified she just saw right for like a split second what this man is capable of and she's terrified but unfortunately he breaks down the door and like with the others before her he duct taped her mouth and her arms he raped her and he stabbed her and he thought she was dead so he dragged her out of the bathroom to pose her in the, I believe what was the living room or some kind of common space. Okay. You know, so that they would fucking find right, her. of course. You know, because he couldn't. Because he's ugh. a depraved piece of shit. And again, thinking she's dead, he realizes that she was actually still clinging to life. Oh my gosh. So with that, he decided to rape her again until she died from her wounds. He literally sexually assaulted her until she died. I hate him. For a reason that we'll talk about later, he didn't mutilate her body post-mortem or really do anything after that. He simply cleaned up the scene to try not to leave any DNA behind. And once again, he disappeared out of the apartment. What the fuck? So he found an unattended pool at a different complex. I don't know. Maybe it was a hotel or an apartment complex or whatever. But he jumped in it to get the blood off of him and discarded his gloves and his knife and the things that he had on him. And these bodies were discovered two days later when 
friends hadn't heard from Tracy oh. or Manny. And they called maintenance to unlock their door. And upon opening the door, they saw Tracy naked and bloodied in the middle of the living room. Her friends? Mm-hmm. Oh. All five of the Gainesville murders had been committed in a single weekend. That's so fucked. And they're just found, you know, they're killed Friday, Saturday, Sunday or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're it's like they're found like Monday, Tuesday. It, it, yeah. A couple, just a couple of days later. And so as the town is in this frenzy of, oh, my God, it's like and then there's another one found that had just, yeah. happened, you know, that didn't just happen this morning. It happened a couple of days ago. It's, you know, it's not that those are the dates like Monday, but mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? It's just. They're All just, in a row. They're found in order of when they happened, even though they happened so close together. And it's like, oh, my God, there's another one. Oh, my God, there's another one. And it's just sheer chaos. So a Sun Sentinel article dated September 2nd, 1990. So, again, let's put this o- less than a week after the murders. Um, they wrote something that I wanted to share with you because it really struck me. Okay. So this was before they had declared a suspect. Again, this is fresh off of this. But these five murders came in rapid fire and had utterly shocked pretty much the entire state of Florida. It says, quote, were it not for a killer whose name is still unknown, the names of Sonia Larson, Christina Powell, Tracy Pauls, Krista Hoyt, and Manny Taboda might have never been linked. Five students, two schools, four different hometowns, different friends, different interests, different backgrounds, different dreams. Yet they're now known and will forever be a group, the victims, joined by one of the greatest unifiers, death. That is beautifully written. What a gut punch. What a a time to be a college kid in that area. Oh, let's talk about that. Okay. So we're at the end of the murders. Goodbye. See you next episode. Oh, wait, we are? (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Oh, fuck. (laughs) damn it you guys Ugh. we are we are done with the murders i will okay. say that but okay. no we have a lot more to talk about i wouldn't okay, do good, that to good, you good, good 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 that would be really shitty of me <sighs> you know i couldn't do that to you yeah it's true you like me too much but with the final two murders that we just discussed his murder count has now reached eight again five of those being the victims in gainesville what the fuck and the brutality of those last five crimes had earned him the name of the gainesville ripper yeah And when I say the media was losing their shit, I mean the media was losing their shit. Yeah. National coverage, state coverage, county coverage, town coverage, and university coverage from both schools. Oh, my gosh. Within days, the area was flooded with families of students flocking to collect their children and their belongings and leave the school. Remember, these are all college kids, and a lot of them, most of them, really short of the, the first two that we talked about, are adults. Right. But to the parents, those are still my babies, right? They're still my kids. And so they're coming far from everywhere to come grab their kids and get them the fuck out of there because they do not know what's happening. Right. And circumstances have shown that it doesn't matter who your kid is living with. It doesn't matter if they're alone or not. Like everyone's at risk. Yes. And parents didn't feel safe knowing that their children, again, adults, were in Gainesville and were away from home. They wanted them in their sight. Mm -hmm. And they wanted him at home now. And parents were calling their kids almost constantly. Yeah. And if they couldn't reach them immediately, their next call was to the police. Yeah. Wanting a welfare check. They were 
traumatized. And law enforcement's phone lines were clogged with worried parents calling about their perfectly safe kids. Mm -hmm. Their kids were probably with their friends, were doing whatever. Right. Still weary of what's going on, but we're not going to answer every single call. Yeah, you're in college, you've got work to do, you've got clubs to go to, and this and that, and new friends. And And you're probably banding together, and you probably don't have a cell phone, so if you're not home at your apartment... Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. So law enforcement is already like struggling with the crime scenes that they've found, waiting for the other shoe to drop. They've got pressure from the town, the university, the state, the country. Parents. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone. And they are getting like bombarded with people calling from across the country being like so is it true you have a a maniac murdering people you have this out there you have this like news people wanting to get a statement to be the one to get a statement you've got parents being like go check on my kid right now when they're in this dorm or this whatever and it's like things outside of their jurisdiction they're being expected Mm -hmm. to go look into and it's not possible Mm -hmm. and the media also did not neglect to include that a little more than a decade beforehand ted bundy had unleashed evil on female college students in florida ah so this is not that far out of that era right where it's like to be a woman in a college campus in florida was holy shit yeah right and again they don't know they don't know that it's over right i'm telling you now that those were the five Gainesville murders and there weren't mm-hmm. any more con- committed by him. But at the time, they don't know that. Right. They're not aware that it's over. They're waiting for the next one to die. Or the next call to find the next one. Yeah. So the students that didn't leave the campus, they sort of all banded together. They Good. slept several to a bedroom. They mm-hmm. stuck together. They would like almost have shifts of staying awake to keep an eye on the place while everyone else slept and sort of tap one in and let the other one. It was a big thing. And no one went anywhere alone. It was entirely chaotic. And at this point, mm. they weren't any closer to answers than they were the day they discovered Sonia and Christina. Oh, gosh. And when there's little to no facts available, we know what happens, right? Mm-hmm. It's in our nature to try to make sense of the events in front of us. That's survival. So the people of this community figuring out what happened was crucial to their survival. Right. If the person responsible isn't caught, who's next? This brought on rumors and guesses and speculation and all hell broke loose as students arrived at campus. So rumors flooded that it must be a student. Who else could it be? This only happened when students came back. Two students. So now students are turning on each other. Oh, gosh. Then rumor had it that it must be a police officer because how could five young college kids get murdered and they didn't catch anyone i mean they have to have leads right how do they not know right it must be a cop so great now there's no trust in the community so now there's no trust in the police right so you can imagine that for law enforcement trying to interview college students and hey did you see anybody with this or you know trying to solve these fucking murders the rumor has it that it's one of them so they're not gonna fucking talk to you so how are they gonna investigate that oh my gosh so you've got the media you know i'm just trying i want you to have the picture that not only was this was this horrible in and of itself but the the tornado that came with it it wreaks havoc on it was horrible it was so horrible absolute pandemonium so meanwhile monday morning after his murderous weekend danny robbed a bank at gunpoint oh 
and law enforcement found the stolen money at his campsite, along with the tapes that he had recorded. Remember, we talked about his recordings that he had made? And the ski mask that he wore for his crimes. Now, it was all collected. Again, he was, like, had a little campsite for his own. Mm -hmm. I don't think... I don't think it was in anywhere where, like, a lot of, like, people would gather or anything. I mean, he was a loner. He was alone and whatever. So they found his stuff and, well, you know. And somehow none of the investigators paid any mind to any of this stuff. They just sort of stored it in evidence because to them they've got bigger fish to fry right now, right? Right. So I don't think anybody listened to the tapes. They're kind of focused on the five murders, not knowing that he's the one that committed them. Right. Um... They probably could have pieced some vital information together had they listened, but again, right. bigger potatoes to fry. Bigger potatoes, bigger to, potatoes fry. to fry. Nope. I mean, I want french fries <laughs> that are big as shit, so I get it. <laughs> they had more going on, to say yes. the least. So, instead, police had narrowed in on a suspect. Okay. But that suspect was not Danny Rowling. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, the suspect's name uh, is Ed Humphrey. Ed. So, Ed was a local. He did not have many pro-social friendships. He struggled immensely with his mental health. Yeah. And he'd had bouts of things in the past, but this newest one was that um, he had bipolar disorder, and he had been prescribed medication and he just cold turkey stopped taking it oh Ed, that's not a great idea and he would have episodes that people described as him acting crazy he didn't take very good care of himself during this time in terms of hygiene he actually had scars on his face from a car accident from years beforehand that kind of gave him the look you'd see in a hollywood movie of a killer slinking around at night he okay. just sort of had like the like the joker scars similar you yeah. know like it, it just fit he the narrative scary yeah, yeah of what the media was sort of presenting at this time and a lot of his behavior was very off-putting he would threaten violence when he was frustrated he wanted to be friends but he didn't really know how to go about it appropriately so there were reports of him like standing outside of apartment windows and like looking inside at the people that were in them. And then mm-hmm. they would like shut the blinds because like, what the fuck? Why is this weird guy staring at me from my window? Right. And he would just stand. He would just stand there like staring at the closed shade instead, you know, and then mm-hmm. walk off. So it was like he wanted to be near people, but didn't know how to do it. And at the slightest inconvenience to him, again, he's going through the throes of his mental illness. It's not like he was always like this right but without his medication and struggling with a lot of stuff no therapeutic intervention whatsoever he was not himself and not behaving in a way where anybody wanted to approach him well and i can assume in law enforcement so like we talk about this a lot especially with the big craziness that comes after some of these things but you can be in a police department and go your entire career and never see anything like this. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's like shit hits the fan. It's that whole, when it rains, it pours. And now you're inundated with things you're not prepared for. Yeah. And so like we know from our experience, when you work in anything that's criminal justice, mental health related in your community, you get to know the people that are really going through it. Mm -hmm. And so I almost feel like, it was maybe like a comfort suspect for lack of a better term to be like the boxes are checked. We know this person. 
well enough to be suspicious. Yeah, that he's local, that he's kind of transient. But also, I mean, again, this wasn't like decades of Ed Humphrey being right or, you know, portraying this kind of behavior. It was only recently that he had stopped taking his medication. And so it was like the timing of it was right. Really unsettling. Right. Very off putting the fact that, okay, he goes off of his medication. He's not behaving the way he normally would. And now these people are murdered and right. He's threatening violence and he's staring at people through windows. I mean, a lot of his behavior, I mean, for very different reasons, right. Didn't not resemble how Danny Rowland, you know, with the voyeurism and outbursts and substance use that we're going to talk about. There's a lot. And that's why I think it's so important just to put out there to say, you know, like we know it was Danny Rowling. And we know that now. They didn't know that then. But Mm -hmm. just to sort of give that credit where credit is due, it sucks that it's down the wrong rabbit hole, but I get it. And it's a really good reminder of how mental health and criminal justice overlap so much. Yeah. And neighbors noticed that he would be talking to himself a lot. He would be saying very violent, weird things. Oh, Ed. A lot. Which really all added up in their eyes of okay he's like threatening to beat the shit out of somebody who looks at him the wrong way you don't think he would have been looked at the wrong way by you know one of the victims and this is what happened you know yeah again it's not like there was truth in that he didn't he didn't do it but the line of thinking isn't illogical no and when everything's in a sheer panic if it's not illogical then it's maybe true right and Again, at a time like that. Previously, having been medicated, stopped taking his medication, largely contributed to his behavior. Yeah. And during that particular weekend, Ed had been seen walking around town, huffing gas, talking to himself, oh. and then threatening people who upset him. Oh, And threatening violence, I mean. Yeah. And because of this behavior, and again, this wasn't always how Ed behaved, but he had completely stopped taking his mental health medication without therapeutic guidance... He was going through a tough fucking time. Yeah, that'll He was do having it. such a tough time, actually, that his grandmother called in a welfare check on him. Aww. And when police spoke with him, all Ed could talk about were the murders. But that makes sense. Right. The murders were all anyone was talking about. But paired with his behaviors looking in windows, right. yelling at strangers, making threats toward people, law enforcement narrowed their focus on him. Right. And then... Their focus narrowed even further when Ed was arrested for beating up his grandmother. Ed. He beat up his grandmother. Be good to your grandma. So then on that, he was arrested and questioned for more than 20 hours straight without sleep. Are you kidding? And his state, I don't want to say corruptible, but maybe suggestible. Yeah. He was exhausted. He was going through it. He was... People He's, people were not being nice to him. People He was struggling with substances. And he might tell you that, you know, he might tell you something you want to hear, basically. Right. He might make up graphic details in an event. He might admit something that he didn't do. He didn't have an attorney. He wasn't taking his meds. And all he can talk about is violence, assault, torture, and, of course, the Gainesville murders. So right. now they're obviously convinced they have their guy. And Ugh. better yet, the murders stop as soon as Ed's in custody. Right. There's no yep. more gains. So yeah. he's off the street. Oh, my God. These no murders, murders that were coming in like rapid fire are now gone. Right. Kind of sealed the deal for them. 
The thing is, though, short of a strange behavior, they didn't have any evidence that he did it. Right. I'm not saying that Ed's this amazing guy. He could have been. I don't know. I don't know him. Right. Uh, or that he didn't commit crime. That's not it at all. He did. But he didn't commit these five brutal murders in Florida. He threatened yeah. extreme violence. He used illegal substances. And he did that out around town. People saw him using right. drugs. And he did actually beat up his sweet little grandma. Which, I mean, again... Obviously, this is a crime that he is doing, and it's not the ones that they're looking at him for. But it's also just proof of, like, he does not have a lot going for him right now. He beat up probably the only support that he had. Oh, yeah. Who called in a wellness check on him. Oh, yeah. And those crimes should be dealt with. Yeah. But he's in the throes of his mental illness and really should have been receiving extensive mental health services all along yeah but the media blew up with this latest installment saying no. that the Gainesville Ripper has been officially apprehended and haven't you noticed the crimes have stopped shit meanwhile Danny Rowling has skipped town yep he continued to burglarize homes and businesses and after a bit he was caught and arrested for those crimes and while this is happening DNA evidence from the five Florida murders had been tested so okay. Danny wasn't as I guess thorough with his I'd imagine of the it's scene. hard to be when people are bleeding out and you're raping them at the same time correct and where he tried to remove I mean he knew enough to try to like wash everything with dish soap or vinegar or whatever it was that he used to try to like destroy his own biological evidence that he left behind right. it wasn't foolproof no. and it certainly wasn't because they were able to test DNA found at the the crime scene against Ed's right and you guessed it it didn't match So investigators were fucking pissed because they were convinced that they had stopped the murderer loose in their town and were forced to accept that they were back to square one. Right. They didn't have their guy. Now what? So something happened that changed the course of this investigation entirely. Okay. And this is a good thing. Okay. This is like the one good thing we've got going on here. Okay. I'm holding on. So law enforcement actually received a tip from a woman named Cindy. I'm going to say... Jurassic, Jur- okay. Jur- I want to say Jurassic, honestly, but I think it's Jurassic. This this is her new name. I think she was married before. Okay, and this is back to her maiden. I think she's since divorced, but either way, Cindy, yes. uh, was from Shreveport, Louisiana. Now, if you'll remember, Shreveport is where Danny grew up and where the Grissom family murders had been committed. And okay. in the late summer of 1990. You know, as the Gainesville murders are happening, the Grissom family murders were still unsolved. Okay. And it had been almost a year since the family had been killed. Okay. And so, you know, Cindy, being from that part of Louisiana, she was actually vacationing in Florida at the time that this happened. And she's like, whoa. So, like, maybe she wouldn't have normally seen it or read much into it, but she's vacationing in Florida. It's everywhere in the news, Florida, because this just happened in Florida. How many times can I say Florida? And the Gainesville murders caught her attention. Right. And she couldn't help but be reminded of the Grissom family murders, recalling that similar to the Gainesville murder victims, Julie had been raped, cleaned of DNA evidence, and then positioned. Right. And she used to be friendly with Danny Rowling and recalled that Danny used to actually shop at the store that Julie Grissom worked at before she died. and. Recalled him saying that he'd always wanted to go to Florida to look at beautiful women. 
Danny. And she remembered some of his outbursts and how one time he told her and her then husband that he wanted to put knives in women. And I'm sure that sticks with you when you hear that. And typically she just felt compelled to call into the Crime Stoppers line. She's like, I don't know. She sat on it for a little bit. She's like, I don't know what this is going to lead to. If it'll lead to anything. I'm not sure. But she just encouraged investigators to look into Danny and why. So she told them everything we just talked about including the grissom murder she told them of his violent upbringing and all of his acting out and all of his arrests and the violence and the pain and pleasure and the washing away of dna evidence kind of but not really and the positioning for shock it just all seemed too similar right and she put it together this just townswoman who happened to know him a little bit, who knew of the Grissom family, who knew the way in which they were killed, and then connected the dots on vacation, vacation yeah. what happened here. So when Ugh, law enforcement women. looked into it more, I know, snaps for... Snaps for women. Snaps for Cindy. Snaps for Cindy, for sure. Um, when they looked into it, though, they found that this theory actually held weight. Good. And they were able to confirm that the DNA found at the crime scenes matched Danny Rowling. Hey... Danny was fucking finally arrested for the murders. Oh, my gosh. In 1991. In 91. This literally means, though, that Cindy fucking solved this crime. She solved this eight-person murder streak. By going on vacation. I mean, that's really a message to all of us to just go on vacation. (laughs) Well. Put good into the world. Go on vacation. Yeah. Um. Solve crimes, (laughs) kick it back on a beach. (laughs) Yes. So this murder streak is over. Danny Rowling can no longer harm another person. Awesome. I want to point out here, though, because I do think this is um, positive. Ed did serve some time in a hospital for his crimes. Okay. And he took his mental health treatment more seriously. He worked a full-time job, put himself through business school, and he stayed on the straight and narrow. Oh good for ed all he needed was just a little bit of help and services and to not lose steam or momentum with his mental health services it's not something that because just because you feel better means it is better yeah and that you can just stop taking things um but he just needed some help in a routine oh good which is good so that's like that's a little positive note that is i hope his grandma's okay yeah i hope so too but back to dick stick danny you oh i like dick stick danny okay thank you yeah just came up with that Mm. thought it kind of stuck felt good so while he's incarcerated he starts kind of talking a little bit about the murders obviously they're asking him lots of questions like uh first of all did why (laughs) why yeah and he told them that he only ever murdered because he felt like he had to okay he felt compelled like this higher power over him had told him to kill one person for every year in jail that he served so if he served like 10 years he had to kill 10 people what so he still had more to make up because he had served more you know he'd been in and out of jail pretty regularly and over time if he told it up all that time it was more than eight years and well that's just what he felt like he needed to do stick stick danny so he said that he had two personalities Okay. He said there was Danny who was cool and calculated and into music. He was going to make it big. You know, he was going to be a star. He was this bank robber that could just get away with it. And he didn't want to hurt anybody. He was so sorry. But he had to do what he had to do. Ew. And that was that. Okay. 
And then there was Gemini. Now, okay. do you like it, Gemini? Because the two sides. Yeah. I th- and I think he is a Gemini. Well, that all checks, but... Uh, yeah. Okay. So he said, now Gemini is the one that made him kill people because when Gemini took over, everything was off the table. You know, you could it was unpredictable. He decided that he would stalk them. Gemini chose to spy on them, to break into their homes, to violently assault them, to stab them, to mutilate them, to pose them. And when he murdered Tracy and didn't pose her body, he claimed that it was because Gemini had just left him in that moment. So after, you know, he killed her, he didn't feel compelled to need to pose her, so he just didn't. Oh. And whether or not Danny truly believed all of this, you know, whether he was telling the truth that right. he felt like Gemini took over and did whatever, um, I don't know. What I do know is that he was not diagnosed with any condition that would sprout multiple personalities. Right. That was found to be false. It was something that he likely made up or a way to justify what he did or, right. you know parts of his own personality that were really morbid and evil right but that's not what it was in fact he was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder which is like yeah i could have told you that yep as well as borderline personality disorder okay that checks so with all of that it was confirmed there was no doubt about it that he did it and he has admitted it i mean he's like i didn't you know me danny didn't but gemini did but we just share the same body and no you're lying like that's not what happened he just he he experienced pain he inflicted pain right well and i think what bothers me too is this whole idea and maybe this is just because i'm someone who takes it seriously but dissociative identity disorder, which is what used to be known as multiple personality mm-hmm. disorder, that is built off of trauma to the lengths I, I'm sure that he endured. Like we heard about his childhood. Mm-hmm. But when it's that, when it's the dissociative identity disorder, that's when those characters come out. It's not after. It's not years after where they're just waiting until one day Gemini is like, today's the day we're going to murder this family. No, it's, it's, like, it's self-preservation. Yeah, those those alters, if you will, or like the alternate personalities, they exist solely for you to get through that trauma. And that's not me saying like, I've, I've never had DID, I've never experienced it firsthand, but from everything I've read, even if it exists after the fact, it started then. Right. And that's what bothers me so much about this is I'm like, it, we're not going to get anywhere for justice for people who do have that issue, who are struggling with it and trying to learn more by just like fucking throwing it at the wall to see if that gets you off the hook for killing people. And I think that, you know, it, it does take away from the people that are truly experiencing that, who truly right. need the help, who need the support, who need the services. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the people that think that it can deflect blame. Right. Takes out accountability of some yeah. kind. Well, it wasn't me. I wasn't in control. Right. You know, it's like, well, I was asleep or I was whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's saying, well, me, the person sitting before you now who, you know, yes, ma'am and no, ma'am and yeah. polite and I'm sorry and I'm so sorry. And, you know, me who's sitting here before you. I would never do that. I would never do that. But when this switch happens in me that I can't control, then that's what I do. 
and ultimately that's not the case at all with him right and it takes away from the people that really do experience that who need the services and need the help and you make it look like people that are experiencing that do those kinds of things when you say that that's what you did and that's not to say that it can't happen i mean yeah it's just statistically far less but in this case with him he thought it would get him off it did not do that good and he was tried and convicted of the murders in 1994. Okay. And he was sentenced to death. Good. On October 25th, 2006. Okay. He was executed by lethal, lethal injection and was pronounced dead at 6.13 p.m. I wish that um, in cases like this, and maybe one day we'll do a case, like, a special topics or something on the death penalty. There's a whole lot to talk about it. But I think that in cases like this, you should be sentenced to death the same way that you killed your victims. I think he should have been stabbed multiple times in the back. Right. Left to bleed out. It's just, yeah, he got the easy way and then he just gets to go to sleep and go on. But in the media, you actually can find a lot of true crime shows that discuss this case, like okay. in an episode or two. Full disclosure, I chose to read about it, so I didn't watch any of those. Right. <laughs> but I know that they're out there and you can okay. find them. But I also think that this is interesting because I always like to include like where in media things might have been inspired. Right. And the writer that wrote the Scream movie screenplay was inspired to write it after seeing the news coverage of the Gainesville Ripper case. Oh. So he's a masked, knife-wielding serial killer entering homes and, like, wreaking havoc, stabbing people repeatedly. That's wild. Yeah. And, again, wearing the mask, not seeing the face. So it's loosely derived from... It's inspired. yeah, Yeah. The five murders in Gainesville that's where that sort of yeah was sparked from so that was the horrific story of Danny Rowling and the way in which he earned the name the Gainesville Ripper well shit and that was a long ass fucking part two but it was worth it I couldn't just split it up and make you guys wait again it was definitely worth it that is such a story I and you've never heard of it nope not at all not even a bit no no and I First of all, you guys, I waited so long for part two. (laughs) I'm not even going to tell you how long I waited, but I'm excited that I can sort of sleep again. Um, (laughs) But also just what a good case as an example of so many of like the real world logistical problems that get in the way of solving even very particular murders like this, where there's a very obvious like there's posing, there's clearly some things going on with all of the rape and the torture and all of that. Mm-hmm. Things that should, in theory, be enough to group those murders together to be like, hey, there's an MO here that we're seeing. Right. And why that doesn't always happen right mm-hmm. off the bat. Um, I'm very glad that Ed got better. I don't know why I'm so invested in him. I'm glad that he did. Um. I think a lot of people fall, I don't want to say like victim to the ignorance of meds working, but I think a lot of people with severe mental health, if it's their first time getting on meds, once it starts working, they're like, awesome, it's done, it worked. Well, and I think one of the the difficulties is, is people, you know, everything's stigmatized. So if you're someone who's been diagnosed with having, you know, bipolar, you know, being bipolar or whatever, 
you know, to them, they're like, well, I must be, you saying I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. I promise I'm not crazy. And so they take the medication. Sure. Whatever. I'll do it. And then they feel fine. And they're like, see, I told you I wasn't crazy. I didn't need this. I feel entirely, you know, quote unquote normal. I'm going to stop taking this medication. I didn't need it in the first place. Look how normal I am. Right. And you don't realize that you there isn't there's rarely a time when someone who's not taking medication anymore can think logically enough or objectively enough to be like wow I felt really good when I was on it I don't feel good now they're not noticing that because it doesn't seem atypical at the time and it's it's just this awful overnight no and it's this awful cycle and sometimes a prescription for a mental health med yeah that just might not be the mental health med for you and you might need to try a different version of it or a different whatever and so there needs to be you know i i say playing with doses i don't mean it like you know but there needs to be like a wraparound continuum of care so that if this med and this dose works great for me someone says awesome we figured it out these are all the green flags and then if two years i build the tolerance and suddenly i need a new dose Someone's there to say, hey, you did really good on this one. What if we increased by this? That'll probably give you good chances. Or alternatively, hey, this doesn't seem like it's working for you. Maybe let's try this one because this has been better for this kind of issue. Yeah. Or these side effects were too much. This one's known to have less of those. Let's try this. And I mean, again, like, listen, guys, we're not trying to sell anyone on prescriptions or anything like that. I promise you. But the idea that taking your medication as prescribed and feeling the best that you've felt and saying good see how good I am I don't need medication right is not going to benefit the individual and I think that in this case that's what happened and yeah it was all this awful storm because it really did look like it was him and they were convinced that they had him and he's all but admitting to it and it's all he can talk about and uh, okay if this is all he can talk about and he's threatening people and he just beat up his own grandma right and he's doing drugs out in public and you know and talking are, to himself in like violent ways yeah and threatening anyone who looks at him the wrong way i mean someone who's portraying so much violence they're gonna think are capable of violence That's, right you know and this is violence that they're finding on a whole nother level yeah and so, as soon as he's off the street, they stop. Right. So I can I can wrap my head around how that happened. And I could understand how relieved they must have felt when they had him and how disappointed they must have felt when they realized that right. they didn't. And just awesome well, for Cindy for making the fucking call is what I, I know. have to say. Literally so many snaps for Cindy. But um, yeah, no, it's definitely one of those that. I completely get it. And it's like in the cop shows and they're like, I liked the guy for it. Like, mm-hmm. I could totally see how you'd like him for that crime. I'm also really excited, though, that piece of shit Danny Rowling is off the street. Not only off the street, but off the planet. Low key. I know. Um, so I'm I'm glad that that's over with. I spent, let's just say, a lot of time yeah. on this, like researching everything. And again, I didn't watch any of the shows on it. I just wanted to read about it. And I loved the crime lab. I mean, there is so like chapped like right. 40, 50 things on it. Oh, um, so many chapters and good reads. And I think I listened to part of last podcast. I forget if it was the first or second episode, but um, yeah, some of there. Try to look into that. And again, the book and everything on just like. I don't know. Again, if you're interested in this case, the the sources are listed below. I'd encourage you to to read mm. them. And um, it was it was very good, very interesting, very horrific, and p- 
probably the most gruesome scenes I've ever read described it's haunting and like i would research this at night alone girl like up and i was just like i was like i need to go watch the office (laughs) it's certainly the most gruesome scene setups that we've discussed yeah it's bad yeah and i know i'm not gonna get that image out of my head anytime soon i know that i apologize for that um i signed up for it so it's true i am super fucking jealous of every one of you that got to skip ahead good for you 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 know none of them skipped ahead they were like i'm here for this for a reason yeah but also girl at least most of you or king if you had to we get it but oh i totally get it super jealous but if you're anything you're like me you're like this might hurt but i'm gonna keep listening yeah my problem (laughs) is is gonna hurt a lot (laughs) i look up the photos oh yeah like i'm one of the i feel like i have like a compulsive need to like Dude, the Black Dahlia stuff, like... The Black Dahlia stuff. After you covered it, and I I looked it up. And I looked it up once alone, too. And I was like, oh, why'd I do that? That was horrible. Horrible. And I just feel like I owe it sometimes. Yeah. Like, and somehow, to just be like, I need to sit in this and feel this for you. Um, I don't know. Just out of respect. That's covering those. It was just, like, sitting there reading what they experienced. And... I'm sure all they wanted was a neighbor to hear it or to notice or yeah. to whatever. And there's this, you've never seen this man before. No. Nope. He came out of nowhere. He's wearing a mask. You don't recognize a voice. Yeah. And it's hours and hours of torture, basically. And you're just, I'm sure you're just hoping at any second someone's going to walk in and save you and end right. this and it doesn't happen. And the way it ends is stabbing through your entire back. Like, yeah. And then and Krista's is what's get what gets me where he severed her head. Mm-hmm. He com- entirely mutilated her entire body. Yeah. Posed it in such a way that her face is in horror. Shock. Yeah. At her own. B- that is so fucked up in so many levels that. Yeah. That that just turns your stomach. It's it's evil. It's how does the, again? I I would hope that my brain isn't capable of understanding. Yeah, yeah. Creating something like you know what I mean, like yeah. making that up. How do you imagine the most gruesome scene? What does that look like to you? And then multiply that by ten. And then how do you rationalize that? Of like, yep, no, I had to do that. And I then just, well, it was Gemini that made me do it. No, he didn't. No, and. No offense, but so fucking what? I don't care what voice in your head told you to do it. You did it. If you are, in fact, Gemini and you do, in fact, have two personalities, even if that was founded, they're both in your body. You're still culpable. It doesn't mean that you didn't brutally murder a total of eight people. And like children. Yep. Literal children. Mm -hmm. Near adults that were still children. Mm -hmm. Like, I just... It's such a wide variety. He did not discriminate. No, he didn't care. And I think the one that got me the most was Tracy. Just knowing that she had clung to life. She tried. And he saw it. And then instead of putting her out of that misery, decided to multiply it like tenfold. Yeah, he just he took advantage of the time he had left. He thought he didn't have any more time left. And he said, psych. Yep. And it was like, oh, she's still kicking. Well, then may as well. And it's just it's awful that. Yeah, there was not even the slightest bit of like compassion or none none of it. It was 
from start to finish evil but also his life start to finish was pain evil and yeah and abuse and cruelty and i definitely like we talk about you feel for the kid i understand as a child or even as like this is gonna sound so gross and old coming out of my mouth but like a pubescent or like immediately after puberty like a young adult sort of conflating the idea between violence and pleasure like that with that upbringing that he had yeah being so so confused by that i'm sure yeah but but then once again it's on you like your healing is Mm -hmm. your responsibility i feel for the kid but not at all for the adults he you know was a full-grown man if he couldn't work he at least could rob jaw or rob banks Mm -hmm. and you know what you can do with that money therapy Mm -hmm. fucking take care of your own shit it's nobody else's burden and i just like i sit and i think about tracy and i think about what it must feel like in your head to be bleeding out and to have been raped incessantly and then there's a break and And there's just gotta be a glimmer of like Maybe someone comes in and finds me before I die. But, like, this stops. Like, maybe there's a chance. And then it's, you blink or something or breathe the wrong way and he notices. And then it's just pain and violence again until it's over. And that, like, that breaks me. Like yeah, that plunged back into hell before it's over. Yeah. It's like you get a second to breathe and then you're thrown right back in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should do a reprieve. I do too, and I have an idea. Ooh. I was thinking that because we're in Florida, yeah. in this case, I think we should do some more Florida Man. Ooh, hell yeah. So, one sec, guys. Okay, you guys. So, Allie and I just found our Florida Man stories. We both got three. Do you want to start, or do you want me to? Um, I'll give it a shot. Okay. Uh, Florida Man arrested for assaulting girlfriend with fried chicken. What? Fried chicken. I love it. Do you think it was like a breast or a thigh or a drumstick? Ooh, I would say a drumstick. Yeah, probably. I'm That's club-like. That. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Like, don't make me. I oughta. And yeah. Then, you know. And then just like bopped over the head. Like a boop like on the bam nose. Bam Bam from the Flintstones. Oh, I sure forgot about that. that. Cute, but. I know. Here's one. Um, a Florida man tries to evade arrest by cartwheeling away from the cops. Wasn't that kind of cute? It is kind of cute. Florida man ripped urinal from restaurant bathroom wall, ran away naked into the woods. Who doesn't? <laughs> I mean, that was my Thursday. <laughs> I mean, oh. Who hasn't? A Florida man trapped in unlocked closet for two days. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Florida man gives police exonerating dash cam video following a traffic incident. Accidentally includes video of him robbing a beauty store. The fuck? Florida man. Florida man. Come on. Come on. All right. My last one. This is funny as hell. From June 8th, 2017. Mm. Florida man desperate for a ride to Hooters calls 911. I love that. Hey, guys. Uh, Could I get a ride? um their breasts are great i meant the chicken like (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, my last one. Yeah. Because I would love to live vicariously through this. Uh, Florida man arrested for eating pancakes in the middle of the crosswalk. Oh. Which I just think, I mean, there are better times to eat a pancake. but It's true. That'll do. Um, I'm going to throw in a fun bonus okay. just for the hell of it. Hit me. Um, on October 7th, 2019, Florida man was arrested for trying to get an alligator drunk. Well, what a good time. To which I say, whiskey or wine? <laughs> What's the alligator's preference? <laughs> Is it like I would say a red or white. swamp hooch kind of guy? No, it'd be red or white wine. What do you yeah. want? I like it. I think uh, if I was an alligator, I'd drink like solely Mai Tais. You think so? Yeah. It just like, it fits the climate. Yeah. You'd probably feel like a hot little bitch drinking it. I feel like it would have to be something frozen with that heat. Ooh, you yeah. Like a pina colada. Maybe that's Yum. just me because I'm. A I just love pina a pina colada. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Or a strawberry daiquiri or anything that's Ooh. like frozen and yummy. Love that. That I can put whipped cream on. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Ellie Don't. <and> I- <laughs> I'm gonna. Allie and I will sometimes go out for like a pina colada or a drink or something after work. Um, And Allie will ask for like the full ass can of whipped cream on that drink. Like she'll ask for extra and then we'll get halfway down and then there will be another request for extra (laughs) cream Um, on half of it. And they're amazing and they bring out the whole thing of whipped cream and they add it for me. And then I normally end up taking some of your whipped cream too. Yes. And we say, okay, thank you. Thank you. And then I give them a really good tip and they yeah. laugh and they have a good time. So it's a win-win for You're all of us. You're the whipped us. cream girl, yeah. It's a win-win for all of us. There are worse things I could be known for. There, That's true. And it, you could be known as the whipped cream girl for a lot worse reasons as well. That's true. So that's I true. think you're doing pretty good in the grand scheme, but it does always make me laugh. Um, And you'll never forget it. You'll no. never see anyone order a like, frozen drink and not think of that now it's for the rest true. of your life. Forever. I'll you just stuck be like, with it. Do you actually just want um, 16 ounces of whipped cream on that, though? Could I have a little bit of drink with my whipped cream? Please. Not a little bit of whipped cream with my drink. Can you add the whipped cream? Yeah. Could it just be, like, a swirl of the drink? Yes. In frozen whipped cream. Oh, that'd be, like, a good ice cream. Well, we're going to have to make that sometime. Figure Anyhow. out what the frick frack we'd do with that. But... You guys, it has been a hell of an episode. So if you were curious about what this piece of shit looked like or what any of his beautiful, lovely victims looked like before he got his stupid, grubby, small, teeny, tiny hands on them, you could happily do that at our Instagram. So that is at about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that's a-B-O-U-T, period, T-I-M-E, period, F-O-R, period, T-R-U-E, period, C-R-I-M-E, period, P-O-D, because podcast was too long, you guys. So you could also, by the way, if you go to our Instagram, see our resources, our sources that we put out for victims, families, and things that they're invested in, put out resources for you guys for different lines, um, we should have any of the national to the U.S. helplines listed that we've talked about. So in any of our episodes, if anything's triggering or you find yourself in a situation in which you might want to take advantage of those, those are on our Instagram, as well as memes, because we all need a reprieve. We always need a reprieve. And pod pets. So definitely get on there. Check it out. Send us a case request. Leave us a follow. Um, give us a little review, please. We love them. We need them. It's how we grow as a podcast. 
And we just love you guys so much. But if there's longer things that you want to talk to us about, um, maybe a hometown story or a story that you're involved in, maybe second or third hand, like you know what happened, um, you can email that to us. But Allie, where would they email that? So if you wanted to email us, you guys, you would just email us at about time, the number four, tc at gmail.com. So that's A-B-O-U-T. T-I-M-E, numeric four, T-C at gmail.com. Again, send us your case recommendations, your pod pets. Pop on and say hi. Yeah, we Feed- love it. Feedback on a case. What did you think? Um, and don't forget, you can go on RSS. You can go to Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you go to get your podcast to leave that review, that rate yeah subscribe follow that five star just saying just saying just saying if you liked what you heard today that's how you it would get mean more. a lot and it costs you zero dollars zero it's free 99 damn it's it it's free 99 help man. a sister out so we love you so much but if i look at my clock i think that was about time for true crime bye bye, bye.